because I believe <clears throat> we can keep trying to pray and keep interceding and keep speaking over nations and keep saying this must happen and that must happen and we keep asking but I want you to realize that there is a certain ingredient which is very very essential in every prayer that when we speak to the Lord and we say Lord give that when we say over a situation problem go if this particular ingredient is not there you can dance about it you can say you have this ingredient you can claim big things but until this ingredient is there your prayer is not going to be answered this ingredient is called faith And you might say, well, I know that. I have faith. And I believe. Yes, you believe. Do you? It's a question that we must ask ourselves. Matthew 8, verse 5. Now when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came. To him pleading with him and actually in Luke you will see that he sent some officials to him pleading with him saying Lord my servant is lying at home paralyzed dreadfully tormented what does he say my servant is lying at home paralyzed and dreadfully tormented. So who's the one who comes to Jesus? He is a, a centurion. A Roman centurion. A Roman centurion knows nothing about the true living God. Because a Roman centurion is in all respects pagan. A, Rom a Roman centurion has one God, the emperor. A Roman centurion has no idea of who the true living God is. And yet this Roman centurion probably heard about Jesus, probably heard stories about what happened, and he resorts to Jesus. Not any of the medicine doctors that they had in Rome or any of the Jewish doctors. He goes to Jesus. Who claims to be the chosen Messiah which according to the Romans was a fable. Because the whole Jewish religion for the Romans was nothing but a fable. It was a story. The Romans never looked at it as real. 
And the Jews would come up to the Romans and say, Don't you know, our God has parted the seas. Our God has this, our God has that. And the Romans would just say, Listen, what are you talking about? You've got no proof. We've got proof of our God. He sits in Rome. He's the emperor. And the life of the Israelites at that time never, never matched what was really the life of big stalwarts like Abraham or anybody else. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed and dreadfully tormented. And Jesus replies back, I will come and heal him. Fair enough? Yep. That's a good answer to give. I will come and heal him. But in those words of Jesus, I want you to read those words again. What does he say? I will come and heal him. Th think about those words again. Think about those words. Say it in your mind again. He says, I will come and heal him. Can you say that with me? I will come and heal him. What is so significant about those words? What is out of the ordinary about those words? He does not say like many of us and like many modern day Christians who come up and say, I will come and pray for him and surely God will heal him. But Jesus says, I will come and heal him. Listen, stop trying to look at this whole incident from the eyes of the Roman centurion. Because the letter of John says, as he is, so am I. You've got a new identity now. You were buried with Christ. You were crucified with Christ. Can you say that with me? I was crucified with Christ. That means when Jesus died, you died. And when Jesus was put into that tomb, and the stone was shut, there was one other body in that tomb. It was yours. You were entombed with him. You were buried with him. And when he rose again, you rose again with him. That's what happened when you were baptized. He was your substitute and did it physically 2,000 years back. In the spirit, you credit it to your account. Now, when you are baptized to put your faith in Christ. And so stop looking at this whole incident from the eyes of the centurion. Start looking at it from the eyes of Jesus. And look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, I will come and heal him. Not I will come and pray for him. Not I will come and lay my hands and maybe he will get healed. Not I will come and pray for him. Not, not don't worry, God will make him well. No, 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 no. He gives an assured guarantee of something. He says, I will come and I will heal him. That's an assured 
guarantee of something. That's Jesus' mindset. Now the word of God says you have the mind of Christ. Am I right? Can you say that? I have the mind of Christ. But the problem is you also have your mind. And the word of God says if you're double-minded, don't think that any answer will be uh, given to any of your prayers. Because we tend to think from two minds. We've got the mind of Christ that tells us all the faith stuff. And then we've got our mind. And we flip-flop, flip-flop between both these minds. We go back and forth. Right? We, we, our mind says, this is our mind. It says this. The mind of Christ... says something else. And it's usually what our mind says is mutually exclusive from the mind of Christ. It's like oil and water. You've got oil and you've got water and you try to mix oil and water, they'll never mix together. A carnal mind is usually far, far away from the mind of Christ. And we go back and forth. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. This whole exercise of going back and forth between two mutually exclusive options in the Greek has a particular word which in your Bibles in the New Testament is translated as Or, doubt or unbelief. This going back and debating between this and that and this and that and this and that and this and that and this and that is what is called doubt. But does Jesus doubt? Jesus told Peter, Jesus told, told, told Matthew, Jesus told, told the disciples, what did he say? Come follow me, right? And he's telling you the same thing. He says, come follow me. What is Jesus saying to you? Say it. What is he saying to you? Come follow me. What does come follow me mean? Follow me. Imitate what I'm doing. As Paul says in one of his letters, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So imitate, come on, come on, follow it, follow it, imitate it. Jesus says, I will come and heal him. There is a certain assured guarantee about what Jesus is saying. It's like somebody who comes up to you and calls you and says, um, you know, like uh, for example, our fridge was not working. So I call this guy who repaired it the last time. I called this technician, he said, okay, I'll come. He sent somebody, the guy came, I said, can you do this, can you fix it? He says, yes, I'll come and I'll fix it. So he came, he did something, he removed some ice or something like that, repaired it, he says, now it's fine. I said, are you sure? That's my doubt. Are you sure? He says, yes. Nothing will happen, don't worry. 
I have repaired it. It's working perfectly fine. And then he added one little statement. But if there's any problem, call me up. You see the problem? The problem was he was not sure what he did. Fair enough. A day later, same problem. And we tend to behave like that when we walk this walk of faith. Can you with complete conviction answer to that centurion if he had to come up to you? I will come and heal him. Not I will come and just pray for him and hopefully God will heal him. You, you, you don't even mention hopefully God will heal him. It's in your mind. You see? You say I will come and pray for him. The hopefully God will heal him is silent in your mind. And then say I will come and heal him. And then you speak out something else but you, you say yeah uh, I know God will heal him. I, I, I know. But, but in your mind it translates to another language. It says hopefully I will heal him. Hopefully he will get fine. Jesus says, I will come and heal him. Centurion answered and said, Lord, wow. I'm not even going any further. Lord, For a Roman, pagan, idol-worshipping, fantasy-believing, Zeus-Jupiter-believing man to look at Jesus and say, Lord, is quite a thing. It's better than many Christians though. Because many Christians say, Lord, believe something else Lord I am not worthy that you should come under my roof okay this man was completely convicted at that point in time about his unholiness and his unrighteousness that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Not, as some people say, my soul shall be healed. No, he says, my servant shall be healed. And my servant will be healed. For I also I'm a man. Now listen to these words. I am also a man under authority. Who was he? A man under authority. What does it mean to be under authority? Two things in the Greek. One, it means under. That means he had somebody over him. 
And second, it means under in the sense of he has people who he is in charge of. He understood what is the meaning of authority. So he mentions a particular word here. He says authority. Can you say authority? authority. He says I am a person who understands and is well versed with what it means to be in authority. Do you know what that means? It means he's looking at Jesus and he says, I understand that you are an authority. Because I am also an authority. It's a different kind of authority, but I'm also an authority. I understand you're an authority. But only speak a word. And my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority. Having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go and he goes. And to another, come and he comes. And to my servant, do this and he does it. He says, I am a person in authority. I understand authority very well. I'm in charge. I'm a centurion, which means I'm in charge of hundred soldiers. And because I'm in charge of a hundred soldiers, I've got servants under me. And I tell them, go, and they go. They don't think about it. I tell anybody do this and they do it because I am a person in authority. And so he says, I just say a word and it is done. Lord, you say a word. This will be done. In the sphere of human government, I've got a position in authority. I say words and they are done. You are in the sphere of the heavenly spiritual government. You say a word. It will be done. He's not even heard a talk of Jesus. Okay. Because much later, Jesus, Jesus says something similar. He says, you speak to the mountain, have faith in your heart without doubting, and it shall be. Which means, this man understood authority in a completely different way. He said, authority is basically when someone is in charge of a certain jurisdiction, if I may put it, And entities and whatever he says to everything under his jurisdiction these people under the jurisdiction obey and so his word has weightage this guy's word has weightage can you say that with me his word has weightage. Who remembers Luke 10, 19? It's such an important verse that somebody even wrote, wrote a song. The song is called Luke 10, 19. It goes like this. I have given you authority to trample over 
snakes and scorpions and to overcome every power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you right and then he says in Acts 1 8 I have given you I'm giving you what power by my Holy Spirit and the centurion was one of such persons he had authority and power over the soldiers and the servants that he governed and he says you are a person in authority you are a man in authority not our just our worldly authority your authority is far above that centurion understood that spiritual is more powerful than physical do you get it spiritual is more powerful than physical can you say it with me the spiritual is more powerful than physical because before anything else it was a spiritual that existed and God said let there be light and the physical came into being so it's the spiritual that created the physical so the spiritual is more powerful than the physical and if the spiritual is more powerful than the physical Jesus had spiritual authority and that's why the centurion calls him Lord what does he call him? I am not worthy that you should come under my roof because I and my physical roof is not even worthy to have you under it you're a king that's far more powerful and superior than what I have ever seen but only speak a word this man has not this centurion didn't attend, didn't, did not attend the Benny Hinn crusade. He did not attend one of the Smith Wigglesworth crusades. He was not busy listening to John G. Lake or any of the big guys that spoke about faith. But he just understood authority right and he understood that if somebody has authority word is spoken it is done as a centurion did he ever doubt that the work that he commanded any of his servants to do will be done never because the servants would do whatever he they are commanded to do because the penalty was death so as a centurion in that time he was absolutely sure, completely convinced that when he says go, the servant goes. When he says don't go, the servant does not go. Does not go. When he says go there, he goes there. When he says go here, he goes here. It's just answered. And he said, Jesus, you, Lord, you are also in such an authority. You just have to say a word and the sickness of my servant will go away. 
You just have to say a word. And the sickness of my servant will go away. Right? Okay. Jesus heard it. He marveled. And he said to those who followed. Assuredly, I say to you. I can't, I can't explain this word from the Greek. I mean, no English words can ever explain this word assuredly. Assuredly is not what the Greek says. What the Greek says is, yes, yes, so be it. I'm really, really, really telling you. I mean, really, the whole sentence, that's what it really means. Assuredly. So when Jesus comes up and says, see, listen, Barkov, I'm really, really, really telling you. What's Barkov got to do? Because he's Jesus. He's not, he's not Peter coming to him and telling him. He's Jesus coming to him and telling him. So when Jesus comes, he has no deceit coming from his mouth, right? Okay. So Jesus says, Assuredly I say to you, I have not found, what has he not found? Such great faith. Whoa, 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 whoa. hold on. What are you talking about? I have not found such great faith not even in Israel I have not found it ever I have not found such great faith what did that man say was he praise the Lord hallelujah Lord hallelujah praise the Lord yes 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 God is good yes God is good nothing like that he just says I know, you say a word, it will go. Because I say a word, when I'm in authority, they obey. You say a word, the sickness will go. And Jesus called it, not just faith, he called it, great faith. And I say to you, many will come from the east. There, your name is mentioned. Really? You're east of Israel, aren't you? Okay. And the west. And your family in the west of Israel, maybe. And sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So one thing is for sure. I don't know about the rest of them, but Abraham, Isaac and Jacob are definitely there. Okay? But the sons of the kingdom means the people who really got it first. Not you and me as sons, but the people who really got it first, the people who were really called sons first, will be cast out into the outer, outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing. Why? I want you to get this. Why will there be weeping and gnashing of teeth? Because the sons of the kingdom are in the outer darkness. Them in the outer darkness will have weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? Why are they in the outer darkness? So that they have weeping and gnashing of teeth? Because they have not got this. Oh, but I'm baptized.
I saw, praise God, you are baptized, but do you have faith? Because I've seen many, many people being baptized today, but have no faith. Have no faith. So there was a man that, that we met at the station. And we went there. And he was seated there. And I said, hi, what's your name? He told me his name. He said, what's your name? I told him my name. And we were speaking in Hindi. And he said, what do you do here? Where are you going? He says, no, I'm not going anywhere. I said, I'm just... Um, I'm just... Any problem? All okay? Okay. I'm just going. Um, I'm telling people about Jesus because if you believe in him, your sins may be forgiven. You can become a son, a child of God. He says, that's new. I never heard something like that before, he said. So I said, okay, so let me tell you. So I said, okay. He said, okay. I told him the whole gospel, how we tell it. And he said, okay, but I'm from so-and-so religion. I don't hate Jesus. So why do I have to believe in him? I said, okay, it's a good thing you don't hate Jesus. But you have to believe in him because nobody else is offering you a forgiveness of sins. There's no other God, seriously speaking. He said, see, 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 listen, he said. You mean to say that the places of worship are temples that I go to and the idol that I bow down to is not real. I said, yes. He says, really? I said, yes. But our forefathers have told us this and so we believe. I said, okay. He said, can I ask you a question? He said, I said, sure. Does the earth go around the sun or the sun go around the earth? And I'm already thinking, is the sky okay? He said, does the earth go around the sun or the sun go around the earth? I said, what connection does it have with your sin? He says, no, just answer my question. I said, okay. The earth goes around the sun. That's that. He says, but do you know that's not the truth? I said, what do you mean? You said, the earth goes around the sun. Who told you that? He said. I said, I came to know that. He said, wait a minute. What's the name of the person who told you that? I said, I'll go to Google and I'll search for it. I said, since you don't even know the name of the guy who's told you that. I said, no. Okay, he said. One more question, he said. I said, sure, I'm finding this very interesting now. He said, um, what's your grandfather's name? I said, why should I tell you? He says, why? I don't know, maybe it might be a password or something. So why should I tell you my grandfather's name? So, so he says, but do you know the name? He says, yes. Who told you you had a grandfather? Have you seen him? I said, no, unfortunately he died before I was born. So he says, so how do you know you had a grandfather? He says, because my dad told me and I've seen photographs. How do you know those photographs of your grandfather alone? Says, because my dad told me. You believe, no, what your dad told you? 
You believe what your teachers and everyone told you that the earth goes around the sun? Why is it a problem if I believe what my forefathers have told me about gods and goddesses? I said, okay. I said, this is the reason the, the terrorist attack happened at Kashmir. He says, why? Because of you, I said. He says, why? What have I done, he said. So, so many people got killed because of this. He said, why? Because those people, I said, killed because their fathers and their forefathers have taught them the same thing to kill. And so I have got to come to a point, I said, where I check what I believe in and see whether what I believe in is the truth or not. Even if it means I have to check about the very God that I worship. This is how do I get this God? I said, what do you mean? I mean, how do I get prayers answered by this God? I said, you ask in Jesus' name and you'll get it. He says, really? I mean, how many days does it take? I said, man, you're not getting it, right? And then it hit me. Then it hit me. Isn't it the same thing that many of us as Christians are thinking? Because we have this idea that God is an answer to prayers in ATM machine. And that's what I told him. You're talking about him answering your prayer in days? If you have faith, I said, God will answer your prayer before you think to ask. You know why? Because he's father. He says, okay. Brothers and sisters, we've got to, we've got to understand faith. Faith is understanding and having a consistent conviction. Can you say consistent conviction? About something. Just wait. About something. Without, can you say without? without. Any, any mental, mental. Deliberation. deliberation. Deliberation means going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Between, you know, those two mutually exclusive options. That's what faith is. The funny part is you have faith. It's not like you don't have faith. You and I have faith. But the blanks here are filled in with a lot of other things. Some of us have faith that we are losers. Some of us have faith that we can never achieve anything in life. Some of us have faith that a particular big sickness is going to kill us one day. Some of us have faith that I can never learn something new. Some of us have faith that the government is always bad. Some of us have faith in our bank accounts. Others have faith in our money. Others have faith in lots of other things. This blank is filled with a lot of, lot of, lot of things. For Centurion, in Matthew 8, it was filled in with just one thing. Jesus. One person, one man, 
He says, Jesus, I'm convicted about. He can do anything. All he has to do is speak it. And then Jesus says it. I want you to see how he says it. He says, go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done for you. As you have believed. The way you've had faith. And he described what his faith is. He says, his faith is great faith. Not little faith. Great faith. Why? Because he understood authority. I want you to turn to Mark 7. Actually, actually, instead of Mark, you can, you can turn to Luke. I think it's also mentioned in Luke. You can go, to, sorry, Matthew, uh, Matthew 15. Yeah, Matthew 15 is the right one. You can go to Matthew 15. They're both the same incident. Mark 7 and Matthew 15 are the same incident. But there's some words that are mentioned here that Jesus really speaks of that I'm really interested in. So we'll look at Matthew 15. Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is evil, a demon possessed. Let me tell you, I can... Matthew 17, uh, sorry, Matthew 15, verse 21. She's a woman from Canaan. I think in Mark, it, she's called a Syrophoenician woman. Now, a Syrophoenician or a Canaanite is not in covenant with God. And is not a Jewess. She's not a Jewess. She doesn't know the true living God as a Jew should, should have known. Did the centurion know the true living God like a Jew would have known? No. But he was the man who had... Okay. Was he in covenant with God? No. But he was the guy who had... Okay. The Syrophoenician woman was the same. But she says something fantastic. She says, Have mercy on me, O Lord. Who is the Lord? Wow. Son of David. That's a title only for the Messiah. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Now for us, we don't find it stunning because we're used to Google. Like today, if you want to find out what was Narendra Modi's father's name, you can just find it, just search it and find out. How on earth did she know that Jesus was born of the royal line of David. And why did she call him son of David? Like he was the one to be sent. Because she knew him. So both the, the centurion and the side of Phoenician woman come to Jesus like they know him. Although they should have not rightfully known him. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Can you say severely? severely. Demon-possessed. You know what severely means? That means very, very badly. 
very badly demon-possessed. Okay, that word, I mean, I can go into what demon-possessed means, but demon-possessed is not demon-possessed. Demon-possessed means demonized, okay? That word possessed has come because of the Catholics. Anyways, but th th that's a long story. We'll get to that later. Severely demon-possessed means demonized. The, the, the person is under influence, severe influence of demonic past. But he answered her not a word. He ignored her. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. And the attitude that they had towards the Canaanites in the sight of Phoenicians, or anybody who was not in covenant with God, was the attitude that many Goans have towards people whom we call laborer. Why is he shouting there? Come on, just tell him to keep going. And that's what the disciples told Jesus. Okay. But he answered, said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He says, I was not sent for you, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came, worshipped him, and said, Lord, help me. He said, it's not good. Now you need, you need to, you might think Jesus is very rude here. But Jesus is not really being rude. You've got to understand the language of the place. The language of the place was such that if you were not in covenant with God, you were considered a dog. But not like we think of it. But it's like this. If you are a sheep, a sheep is somebody that is considered more loyal than a dog as such. Okay. In, in amongst the Jews very specially and the sheep is somebody that was very faithful to the shepherd and will always obey the shepherd and always follow the shepherd but a dog a dog used to be just on the street side and so a dog was not was not somebody that was considered really close to the shepherd and so he says it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs little dogs puppies what was she asking him deliverance right what did Jesus call deliverance not just bread Remember that pattern prayer that Jesus said, give us this day our... Oh. This, he called children's bread. It's not right to give the children's bread, he says, throw it to the dogs. Did she move from there? What did she do? She stayed put. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. This woman was not willing to go. This woman was not willing to take no for an answer. And this woman was not willing to move from there until she got 
what she came for. She was not willing to budge until she got what she came for. She was ridiculed by the disciples. She was looked down by the disciples. But she was not willing to budge from there at all. In any way, she was not willing to move at all. She stayed put. I want you to listen to Jesus' answer. Oh woman, great is your faith. What did this woman understand? What did she understand? She understood that if she came to the Lord and stayed put to get what she wanted, which was basically healing and deliverance, which was the children's bread, she would get it. Even if the Messiah or the Lord did not consider her as even part of the household, she said, you're calling me a dog? Okay, I'm a dog, give me crumbs. Because even dogs get crumbs. You are not somebody who won't give when it is asked. I'm staying put. What is that one word to describe such a person? Or, or to describe this, what she went through? Persistence? Okay. I want you, I want you to think about it. Here she comes to Jesus and Jesus says, no, I'm not giving you. Many of us have come to Jesus and Satan has put in our ears, no, it's not going to happen. But this woman went to Jesus and Jesus himself told her, no, I'm not giving you. And yet she stayed put. Many of us here, the mind, the carnal mind that we have, and we go into doubting, we hear, yeah, but this is not happening, no, it's not, probably this has to happen. That kind of, I know that body ache, uh, I know that's headed for a fever, I know that's happening, this is what's happening, this is what's happening. But no, through the stripes and truths of Jesus, I was healed. Yeah, but it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, because that's... And you sometimes go to people who are sick and the sick person does not feel better. And you say, Oh, I don't know why he's not getting healed. Maybe I don't have faith. I don't know why he's not getting healed. I don't know. It's not, not working. Prayer is not working. We condemn ourselves. We get more guilty. My prayer is not working. I don't know what's happening. And we keep going. Here, Jesus himself told this woman, No. And the woman said, Nothing doing. And Jesus said, But you're a dog. Okay, give me crumbs. And Jesus called her faith.
Can you see this here? Consistent conviction. No matter what answer is thrown at you. Consistent. Can you say consistent? Consistent. Conviction. The centurion had a conviction without any mental deliberation. The Syrophoenician woman had a conviction, but it was a consistent conviction no matter what the answer came. I, I don't know whether you've seen old Bollywood movies and the, the hero or the hero's mother or the hero's wife or heroine would come, go to some sort of a temple and the hero is dying there, two, three bullets in his chest and she would ring the bell. And fight with that God or goddess saying, no, you will answer my prayer. And the, the, the guy goes dying more and more and more and says, no, you will answer my prayer. Brothers and sisters, the world got it before us. Mind you, this is a God who says he will answer your prayer before you think to ask. Mind you, this is a God who tells you, you are in covenant with God. You are not far away from him, you are in covenant with him. I'm reminded of our dear friend Bharat. Bharat was somebody who didn't believe, he was not baptized. But we told him, whatever you ask, whatever you ask God in Jesus' name, you will get it. He believed. He says, okay, if I ask in Jesus' name, I'll get it. Let's see. And he got food when he was hungry for three days. He got a job two days later. It was well settled. With a job and a salary. He was on the platform of the station. You and I are busy thinking about this need and that need and he was on the platform with nothing. He had faith and got everything. Why? All he had was this. A consistent conviction. When you say something in the name of Jesus, you get it. Now here's what the whole deal is. It's not just a consistent conviction about Jesus that you need to have, but a consistent conviction about Jesus and and whatever he said. So you have a consistent conviction about Jesus, great. You've got to have a consistent conviction about what Jesus said, that what he said is true. That what he said he will happen. Like one guy, one, one pastor said, he said, no matter what evidence is given before me, I'll still go with what he spoke. If the evidence says something else, but the word says something else, I'll still go with what he spoke. Consistent conviction about Jesus and whatever he said in his word without any mental deliberation. That is faith. Mind you, that's what Jesus says. If you have this, this, if you have this, 
You can speak to the mountain, it will be cast out into the sea and it will be done. You can speak to the mulberry tree to be uprooted and moved out, it will be done. You don't need big conviction, he says. You don't even need big consistent conviction, he says. You need small mustard seed style. Consistent conviction is good enough. The problem is this guy here, mental deliberation. When this guy comes in the picture, that's the kind of faith we're called to have. Consistent conviction with no mental deliberation. A consistent conviction. Consistent. You know what consistent means? Consistent means no matter what is thrown at me, it is consistent. So you look at, for example, you look at this wall, this, this, this beam here. The white color of this beam is not consistently, this whole beam is not consistently white. There are stains. It's not consistently white. Everywhere. In fact, you go throughout the whole office, it's not consistently white. Gives the impression that it's white everywhere. We get the impression that we are convicted in every situation. You and I know the kind of situations that come where we falter and shake. Weeping and gnashing, he said. Weeping and gnashing. That's why Peter talks. Today we were reading about Peter. Peter says, he says, when trials come, he says, and, and I'm paraphrasing what he says, he says, when trials come, rejoice because the trials are the approval of your faith. Now, and that approval of your faith, that testing of the quality, the genuineness, the Greek word is the testing of the quality of your faith. It's like, if you go to a goldsmith, he'll take a piece of gold and he'll scratch it out and see, okay, is this really gold or not? The testing of the quality, 24 carat, 18 carat, 22 carat, whatever. The testing of the quality, the genuineness of how precious that gold is. It's just the testing of the quality of your faith, the genuineness of how precious your faith is. That genuineness, that label that is given to your faith, 24 carat, 22 carat, 18 carat, for your faith, is more precious and of more value than real gold. More precious and of more value than the value of real gold. That is what you need to work towards, he said. The genuineness of your faith. That is of more value than real gold. And he says, so the trials that come are not sent by God. But when they come, James says, rejoice in them because you are going to win. And Satan's throwing a trial at you, but you're going to win. So rejoice, because it's just going to display how good your faith is. And that display of how good your faith is, is of more value than gold. Because when you're displayed about how good your faith is, your faith is just built up leaps and bounds even more. Doesn't mean when sickness comes, you say, oh, this is a trial, I'm just going to... No, 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 no. God is not sending these kind of things to you. He's not a sadist. And that's why even Peter says, if perchance the trials come, 
If per chance they come. If per chance. What trials are these? Temptations? I, I don't know why. We've got such a destructive theology in our minds that we think whenever trials come, it's sickness. All the scriptures that say God is my healer through the stripes and those of Jesus we were healed just go out of the window from that for that moment. The moment we see trial and suffering, we think sickness. But Jesus already settled sickness once and for all. Why don't we ever why does it ever occur into this two-pound brain of ours that trials could be temptation? Because when temptation comes, it's a real test of what you believe in. Let me tell you, if you can resist that lustful thought or the thought of greed or the thought of covetousness, when it does come and stay put, you've got faith. The trial comes in the form of when you go to set somebody free, when you go to set an oppressed free, there's this war out there. The trial comes in the form of persecution. When you stand by the truth, the whole world may not accept what you're saying. That's when the trial comes, but are you going to stay put? Or are you going to whimper around like a scared kitten? You might laugh about it, but you don't have faith. It's a pity. It's a pity that we still have to talk about this. This is something that should have been understood by Christians. Something that should have been understood. That's why Hebrew says, we won't go through the same basic teachings again of faith and repentance and forgiveness of sins and laying of hands. We must move on to the more mature things, the more important things. Because this, this, this is foundation. This is foundation. On this everything has to be built up. This is foundation. We're still talking about this. reason because instead of checking that's why Paul says in Thessalonians he says examine your faith test yourselves examine your faith examine yourselves whether you are in the faith or not and instead of leading people to examine themselves and question themselves about whether they are in the faith or not people are busy celebrating Passovers and feasts when this is what they're supposed to check out. Your right standing with God is not coming because of any feast you celebrate. Your right standing with God does not come because of any work of any sort. Your right standing comes because Christ paid the price. When he died, you died. If you don't believe in that, you have no righteousness of God. But if you believe in that, you have the righteousness of God. And that's why it's called righteousness by faith. But we still feel we need to do something. We need to do something. 
We need to do something for God to be happy. You can't do anything for God to be happy. What could be done was a sacrifice. The only thing that could make God happy was your execution. Jesus did that. And it's done. Now you've got to believe in what he has won for you. And walk in it. There's nothing you could do to please God and make him forgive your sins. There's no act of penitence that could make him happy. Because his justice and the standard of, of his justice was far, far greater than any fast you could keep. But the only way that standard of justice could be satisfied was by Jesus Christ. And you believing in that, you receive the same favor, the same standing that Jesus had with the Father, you get it. Provided you believe consistently, convicted, without any mental deliberation, having a complete understanding of authority and persistence, that means even if Satan comes to you and say, yeah, don't you remember, before you got born again, this is what you used to do, that is what you used to do, but you persistently declare the same thing, I'm dead, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. And when he comes up to you and says, see, but you still have the same trends, you still have the same thoughts, you still have the same kind of behavior now, You've got to stand up and say, well, that's got to change. Because that's not me. I'm dead. It's no longer I who lives. It's Christ who lives in me. And when you put the same kind of doubts in your mind, you've got to answer back because you've got the mind of Christ. When Satan came to speak to Christ, he answered back. You've got to answer back out loud and say it persistently, consistently about what you are convicted about. That I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. And have nothing to fear about. A child is a part of the household. And when you're part of the household, you know. When you're part of the household, you know where the sugar is. <laughs> you know where the salt is. You're part of the household of God. There's nothing that you need to fear. You don't need to think about, oh, the rice is running out, Lord. Don't you think you should order more rice? You're a child. Jesus has provided an infinite abundance of everything that has to be provided for you. Yeah, but Lord, I feel like doing this. Can I please do this? What? You're dead. You're no longer your own. You've been bought. You're not even yours anymore. I'll end with the words of Paul in the, in the letter to the Romans. He says, he says something very in interesting. He says, if there is a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, he says, when the husband is married to the wife, the wife, the wife, if she goes after another man, then she is called what? An adulteress. But if the husband dies, she is no longer under any obligation. She can get married to somebody else. 
and when she gets married to somebody else she is not called an adulteress anymore right because when she was married if she went she was called an adulteress now that he's died she's no longer an adulteress she is married to someone else in the same way he says in the same way he says you were married to the law and doing works trying to please god by doing your works but you're dead to the law now you're married to someone else jesus christ who was raised from the dead so now because with him you were crucified with him you were buried live like a person who has risen from the dead if you were in that tomb with jesus when you rightfully should not have been there but you were there your dead body was there and then suddenly something happened the tomb opened up you were made alive and you came out of the tomb how would you live a life that's the way you got to live it now that's the way you got to live it now that by the way summarizes all of romans that's the way you got to live it now consistently being convicted of what jesus did what he said without any mental deliberation and so at this moment father we thank and praise you that the seed of your word that has been sown will bear fruit brothers and sisters this is going to change the way you pray the way you pray you know we've got that itch to pray long prayers that itch comes from an insecurity that the longer our prayer is the better it may be answered <laughs>